The following program may contain viewpoints and opinions that do not necessarily reflect those of Radio That Doesn't Suck Incorporated or Making Our Seniors Matter. Welcome to Seniors Speak, a podcast series by seniors for seniors, organized by Making Our Seniors Matter, a not-for-profit organization and funded by the Government of Ontario's Ministry of Seniors Affairs. I am Terry McIntyre, Senior Investment Advisor with Manulife Securities. I am so proud to be a sponsor of this podcast. Having seniors speaking to seniors and bringing the program themselves together is something you just don't see. And the minute I heard about it, I thought, this matters. And I was really pleased to see it, what, it's, what they're doing, how they're going about it. I had to sponsor. It is just the right thing. I hope you enjoy the shows. Glenn Cunningham here with Making Our Seniors Matter. And we're here today at uh, Senior Speak. You know, Canada is very fortunate to have so many people from so many places around the world. And today I'm here with Juliette Rebello, who has come here to Canada in 1974. Two. Oh, 72, two children, married, and there's a story behind that. Why don't you tell us all about it? Well, it was uh, August 4, 1972, when uh, Idi Amin, the famous tyrannical uh, ruler, was in charge of the Ugandan government who had taken over, and uh, his mission was to get rid of the Asians because he felt that the Asians were dominating the, uh, the economy sector of the country and were not sharing with the local people. And so he had a decree put out that the Asians had, uh, had to leave Uganda in 90 days. Now, when that decree came out, you can imagine the anguish that we as a young couple with two young children, the oldest, the oldest child being four and the youngest being two, where do we go? Uh, I'm a Kenya citizen. My husband, Ruben, is a Uganda citizen. One child is born in Kenya. One child was born in Uganda. Where do we go? Uh, we are citizens of, of the country. But yet we are Asians, and he doesn't want us there. So. I was fortunate enough to be working for Pan American Airlines at that time, and uh, I had a very, very good boss, Mr. McNally. And uh, Mr. McNally was immediately on our case to get us out of the country, especially with the fact that we had two young children. And um, he looked at all kinds of aspects of of trying to uh, see that we could get out quite safely. And... um, we then resorted after a couple of them failed. Uh, he thought the best thing to do was, since I was a Kenya citizen, uh, to put me and the two children on the Pan Am flight that came in from New York, touched down in Entebbe, headed for Nairobi, would be the next stop in Kenya, uh, that he would put the two children and myself on that flight and get the ground staff there to clear us and, and take us. And I, I had family still in Nairobi at that time. Uh, However, once he sent the message out to the office in Nairobi, 
uh, they immediately came back to say, well, the, uh, the uh, Kenya government would t accept me and my son, who was born in Uganda, but would not accept the younger child who was born in, uh, oh. I'm sorry, me and my son who was born in Kenya, and the younger child who was born in Uganda would not be accepted. So that threw a wrench in the works, and uh, we were forced to uh, start thinking afresh as to what, what other options are open to us. So what kind of time frame now that, that you've gone through from the time that you knew this was going to happen until this point where you've made plans, plans have been falling apart? Well, that was August 4. Well, things worked out good. Uh, we left Uganda in September 20, 23rd, uh, 26th. And um, we left on our own. We did not wait for the Canadian uh, refugee program to kick in because Canada was quick to react. They immediately said that they were going to send uh, uh, aircraft down to, uh, to bring back people to Canada. And this was, I guess, with the help of the Aga Khan. The Aga Khan was very instrumental working with Pierre Trudeau at that time. And the two of them agreed. And so Canada sent out um, a fleet of aircraft to pick people up, to 6,000 Asians to be ferried across from Uganda to, uh, uh, to Canada. But since I worked for the airlines, I had the option to use my privileges to travel. And I told them, I, I told the Canadian delegation, because we had to go through the whole interview process of uh, being interviewed, et cetera, et cetera. And we also had to go through the tedious process of having to denounce everything that we had in Uganda. Uh, so even so much as have our little two-year-old child have a thumbprint put on paperwork to say that they had nothing to come back to, that there was nothing that they had. All our bank accounts were frozen. Every Asian had their bank account frozen. Uh, well, I'll just go back a little bit. Worked for Pan Am. At that time, when that decree came out, uh, the Asian population, the Asian merchants, were quick to react. I have never seen so much money in my entire life dropped in front of me on a counter. They would come in with brown paper bags, large brown paper bags filled to the brim with money and just say, Mrs. Rubello, can you please write up as many tickets as you can, round the world tickets for me and my family and just give us the names and go. And I didn't know what to do with that money. I just took the bags and to the back office and I handed it to somebody else. You count, you tell me how much, there, uh, you know, how many tickets I can issue. And in those days, it was not a matter of using a computer, it was all handwritten tickets. <laughs> so that went on, uh, and uh, that way they were able to get their money out. And I say that because uh, in this day and age, if you buy a ticket here, you cannot get a refund in another country. But in 72, you were able to buy a ticket in any part of the world get your money out in any part of the world. And IATA, which is the governing board for the international travel, 
soon caught up with it because all these people were cashing in these round-the-world tickets, $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 worth of tickets, of each ticket, and were being cashed all over the world. So IATA got a wise to it and then put a restriction on there to say that, no, you could not do that. The tickets were going to be refundable in the, in the country they were issued. I'd call that being creative at the point in time. That's, that's quite a story in itself, just how that, in order to get money out of the country. Exactly. But I just want to, not to interrupt you, but just to have people understand, people like myself who have always been in Canada, can't even comprehend what you're going through, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's really almost out there as being in fantasy land. You gotta be telling me like just fairy tale stories, but this is really, really devastating to somebody uh, um, with two children and, and your life is starting to get into order and all of a sudden there's total chaos. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is correct. I mean, you know, we could see that uh, they were getting out, others were getting out uh, and getting their money out, whereas our bank accounts were all frozen, so we had nothing there that we could, you, you know, we couldn't touch our money. Wow. Well, anyway, we had uh, made plans already, and uh, together, as I said, I had a very good uh, boss at Pan Am, and uh, he arranged for all my tickets for me to travel from uh, Uganda to India, where my parents were. They had retired and gone to India. So uh, I decided, well, I might as well go and see them because I don't know whether I would ever see them again. You know, uh, not knowing we're going to a country, we don't know anybody, we don't have anybody, we have nothing, we have no money, and, uh, and we're going there, and um, we don't know what to expect. So I thought, let me just go and see my parents while I can and still have that ability and facility to do. So we did, and we visited with them for about two weeks, and um, I, 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 begged with my, I begged my mother, I said, you know, Mom, can I stay here with the two kids and let my husband Reuben go and get himself a job and find a place for us to settle down and, you know, and then we can join him. But Mother, in her wisdom, uh, I mean, at that point it was not wisdom to me, it was uh, harrowing, but Mother, in her wisdom, said to me, go as a family, bear the burdens as a family, and that's how it should be, he says. Don't wait for one person to do all the hard work and you to go in later. And that's, so we just did what we had to do. Uh, getting, and that mom and dad were in Goa. So from Goa, then we went up to Delhi because Pan Am flew out of Delhi. And um, I walked into the Delhi office and I asked to speak to the manager and I said, uh, Mrs. Rubello, and the uh, moment I said that, the manager comes out of the office and he says, Mrs. Rubello, I have all your tickets for you. I said, you do? He said, yes, Bruce has authorized your tickets for you. You're on the Pan Am flight. You're listed for the, and I say listed because as staff, you don't get confirmed, you're listed. So you're listed on the Pan Am flight and your flight's leaving at um, an ungodly hour of three o'clock in the morning out of Delhi. Uh, but he says, uh, you know, we have concerns uh, about uh, your travel, he says, because you could be offloaded in Frankfurt for the same, a simple reason that Pan Am was the official carrier for the, uh, for the American soldiers based 
out in Germany at that time. So if there were any soldiers that needed to come back, uh, any of the uh, armed forces that needed to get back to the U.S., they would have priority over any staff traveling. And so they were, they were concerned about how we were going to you know, make it through. So we just said, well, all we have to do is say a prayer and hope it works. You know, whatever it is, we have, we have to bite the bullet and go. So we boarded the aircraft, and uh, if, if you can recall Pan Am at that time, the clipper ha was a big jumbo with a big bubble at the top, and one of the most luxurious aircraft to travel in, and um, get on board, and the flight attendants direct me into, into the bubble. And I said, are you sure? Yes, Mrs. Rubello, that's where you are. So they seated us up in first class. But, uh, and they were so attentive, everybody was so good, so caring, they took the care of the kids. They, they saw how stressed I was. Going with two kids, we only had $100 with us. That was all we had. That was but you all. were flying first class. <laughs> yes. With $100. With 100 US dollars, <laughs> yes, to our name, right? And um, just getting settled and suddenly this tall man comes up to me, an American man, and he says, Mrs. Rubello, I'm so happy to see you're on this flight. And it was the, it was the president of American Life Insurance. Uh, about four weeks before, he was in our office in Kampala, and he brought his tickets to me to have them rewritten because he had to make a stop in Delhi. And so I had worked on his tickets for him. And he was so, so happy to see us. And he said, you know, he gave my husband his business card and he says, listen, any help you want, just give me a call. So um, I was not appreciative of, of, uh, of the, the, what I had, the first class, I, you know, I, I, I could not appreciate all the luxury and everything that we had because I was just traumatized yeah. by what to expect when I got here. Where were we going to go? A family of four. We so don't you know. had no plan of where you were going to no. be once you got here? No, no. So anyway, to make a long story short, as it is a long story, uh, we got through Frankfurt, we got through London quite easily, we didn't have a problem, uh, get to New York and get our connecting, connecting flight on Air Canada into uh, Toronto. We arrived Toronto at about uh, 11, 11.30 at night. The last of the flights were coming in at that time, and uh, uh, I guess from the Caribbean, and we dragged ourselves off into the lineup and stood in the lineup, and I was just dying to sleep. I was just craving a little corner that I could put two chairs together and just lay myself down and, and close my eyes because I didn't, I didn't sleep a wink on that. That flight must have been 20 plus hours from Delhi, Tehran, Frankfurt, London, New York, time changes taken, taken into account, stopover uh, uh, time taken into account. Must have been 20 plus hours. So I was, and with the stress, I was totally exhausted. As we're standing in the line there, and I'm looking around for a place to crash, this woman comes up to us and she says, um, let me help you, let's try to clear the lines. I guess they wanted to go home too because this was the last flight and they were ready to close. 
So she said, give me a passport. So we gave her our passport. She gets a shock of her life, and she says, what? You're not supposed to be here. Imagine hearing that with, full, with two kids. You're not supposed to be here. But I said, but we've got a stamp on our passports that, yes, we are. Uh, we are entitled to come into Canada. And she said, yeah, but we're not ready for you. Oh, I said, okay. Can, I, can we just crash here for tonight, and then we can work it out tomorrow and see what we can do? Oh, no, 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 she says. Okay, come into my office. So she took us into her office, and she sat us down there, and she took our passports, and she was gone for a while, and then she came back, and she said, you know, the Canadian uh, delegation of refugees is only coming in in another two weeks. They're expected in. So we're not ready for you. We have nothing to offer you. Do you know anybody or have anything or any contact? I said, no, I don't know anybody. He doesn't know anybody. We don't know anybody. And then she said, you sure you don't know any, anybody? You don't have anything? And then I suddenly remembered his mother had given me a little slip of paper with a t name and a telephone number that she had heard of that she had a cousin here who she'd never met. But through somehow or the other, she managed to get that name and telephone number. So I said, you know, my mother-in-law gave me something before I left, and I fortunately I'd put it in the passport. And um, so I said, I think it's in the passport. So she looked and she said, oh, good, good, good. I'm going to go and find out. I said, what are you going to do? This is now almost midnight. She said, well, I'm going to phone. I said, phone, and what are you going to tell her? She said, uh, you know, we don't know her, and we don't know this person. She doesn't know us. Don't worry, she says. You leave it up to me. She was adamant that she had to find us a place. She was not going to see us stranded at the airport uh, by any means. So she calls up this little old lady and um, I guess tells her who we are and where we're from and, uh, you know, and that we're supposed to be related, et cetera, et cetera. And this little old lady lived in a bed sitter. So she called up her, her grandson and said to her grandson, you better go to the airport, I guess, and pick these people up. So the immigration officer comes back to us and says, they're coming to pick you up. Somebody's coming to pick you up. I said, really? How are they going to know who we are? And how do we know who they are? She says, don't worry, it'll work out. Don't worry. She says, Have a little faith. Yes. And of course, you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm worried. I, I don't know where I'm going and with, with us. And finally, this, this, man, this young man and this girl come up to the airport. And by that time, the airport was deserted. There was nobody there. We were the only ones. As so they, they came and picked you up. She made, to their she, home. she made sure that these were the right people. And when she was comfortable with that, then she said, you can go home now. And that was, we, we landed on the 13th of October, 1972, Thanksgiving Day. And you had we, something to be thankful for. Always. We never forget that. Isn't that a wonderful story? And, how, and over the last number of years that you've been here, my math isn't that quick, but it's a number of years that you've been here. Yes. On a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel about being part of Canada? I think I've lived here longer than I've lived in the country where I was born, which was in Africa. My father was born in East Africa. I'm the second generation born in, in East Africa. 
but we've lived here longer. And to us, this is home. So what was one of the most traumatic times that you felt in this obvious, very traumatic journey that you made? What, what was the real big point? Getting out of the country, getting out of Uganda. Yeah, we had to, we had to get out before the deadline. Uh, and so this was the day before that deadline. Uh, it was actually the morning, the early morning of that day that uh, we took the Ethiopian flight. Now, to give you an idea of what it, how this all happened, uh, we took that early morning flight because the change of guard and the, uh, the airport was under military control. Okay. Okay. And the African soldiers that were at the airport were brutal, were brutal in all their searching. Uh, all the Asians that left uh, on flights to wherever they were going, they were searched so brutally. I cannot, I cannot tell you what some of the uh, horrible things that the Asian women were put through. It was incredible, the stories that we heard that they were, all that they were doing was searching for gold and searching for money and, you know, and they would harass the women particularly. And um, so at this point, uh, I was told by the manager of the airline, come, take the morning flight. The guards change at seven. The Ethiopian flight was leaving Nairobi, uh, leaving Entebbe at eight o'clock in the morning. So get there at six o'clock so that, you know, they're already in that mode of wanting to get off duty. And, and the soldiers at that time, they drank and they were obnoxious. So when it came, when we got there and it came for them to do uh, our search of the, of the suitcases, we traveled with just four suitcases. Uh, so a soldier came up to us and he asked, uh, how come you're traveling with four suitcases? I said, well, we have four people. We have four suitcases. So he said, open them up. So we opened them up. With his bayonet, he lifted every item of clothing, everything he could get through, and he just uh, turned everything over. And this was happening not only to us, it was happening to every other Asian that was there waiting to get on that flight. Um, he didn't find what he wanted. It was sitting right in front of him. I had a little bit of gold. It was sitting right on the top. And I thought, you know what? If they want this, and if this is what they've been harassing uh, us Asians for, and if that's what he wants, they can have it. It's right there. I don't know how he didn't get it, but it was there. And he asked my husband, he said, have you got any money on you? And he said, uh, yes, I have. And he said, how much? And he says, $100. And um, he said, I need to have that. And my husband said, but we need that for the children. We are traveling. We need that money for the children. And I, I guess something just came over him, and he just let us keep that $100. Wow. And uh, it was a harrowing experience to get our suitcases packed again and then to make a dash for the flight. We were the, probably the last passengers to get on that flight. They held the flight back for us because they were concerned about him and my husband being caught up and maybe being held back because he's a Uganda citizen and he should not be traveling. He should be 
back there to report and have his, himself accredited as a citizen. That's basically it. That is absolutely this is home. a wonderful, wonderful story. Juliet, thank you very, very much for your time today. We certainly would like to hear more about your adventure. Um, it's great. Welcome late, but welcome to Canada. Thank you very much for choosing Canada to be a place to raise those, uh, that family and be part of our Canadian culture. And we thank you very much. And for Senior Speak, this is Glenn Cunningham. Thank you. And we thank everybody. My family thanks Canada for everything it's opened up for us. It's given us doors and opened up so much to us. Thank you. Just minutes from the historic charm of Streetsville, Viva Mississauga is a brand new state-of-the-art residence nestled in scenic Churchill Meadows. We're surrounded by inviting walking trails and conveniently close to public transit, great shopping, and more. No matter how you enjoy spending your day, you'll find it all right here. Great food, great service, great amenities, and great people. That's Viva Mississauga's commitment to making today great. Seniors Speak is an innovative podcast that gives a platform for seniors to speak on issues that are passionate to them. This podcast is possible because committed seniors have volunteered their time to share their experiences, stories, issues, and their expertise to help educate, inspire, and empower other seniors and their families. This unique program was founded and organized by the not-for-profit organization Making Our Seniors Matter and generously funded by the Government of Ontario through the Ministry of Senior Affairs. If you've enjoyed any of our stories or perhaps know someone or an organization that would also enjoy it, please feel free to share. Visit makingourseniorsmatter.com for more details.